We're going to move into to another series now, and it's called Missions. And this is more of the world. This is understanding what God is doing around the world. Having a mind, if I could put this in a nutshell today, it's this. Understanding not what my vision is, but what God's vision is for the world around me and getting in line with it and doing everything I can to support the vision that God has for the world around us. And so I, I want to talk about vision for a minute. Um, when, when I was, I, I think I may have shared this before, when I, I think I was about six years old, I, I was probably eight years old. We were driving back here. I was born here in Westchester, just right down, not, I wasn't born on Tylersville Road, but, but we lived down on Tylersville Road. And then when I was seven, we moved down to Texas. And so I was kind of getting acclimated to Texas, and we had just recently been to a rodeo, and I was a young boy, and so going to the rodeo, I was like, man, that's awesome. I'm going to ride a bull someday. It's going to be cool. So I'm, we're driving back from Texas. I think it was probably for Christmas or something, and we're in the car, and, and we come up on, you know, that spot on 75 where you come around the hill, and, and there is Cincinnati, and that's home to me. And, and I don't know what prompted me to say this, but I thought, one day, I'm going to be a cowboy, and I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a cowboy and a pastor, because that's normal. There's a lot of those, right? And, and where this takes a really weird turn is that a couple years ago, during our interim, when I was kind of, I didn't know where God was leading us, I actually went and interviewed at a cowboy church and had the opportunity to become a cowboy pastor. But that wasn't God's vision for my life. I feel pretty confident about that, that, that God's vision was not for me to be a cowboy. But, but here I am. I am a pastor. But, but I was thinking about this. Do you have a vision for your life? Or can you remember? I'm, I'm, I know you have a vision for your life. But can you remember back to a time when you had a vision for what your life was going to look like? For a while, it was cowboy pastor. And then it was, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. And, it, you know, it... it twisted and changed, but, but you have a vision for your life. Let's have some fun. Share, share a vision that you had for your life with somebody around you. Go ahead. What did you want to be? What did you think your life was going to look like? <coughs> there is some good conversation going on. Lots of laughter. All right, bring it back, bring it back. Okay, so, so I had this vision for what I thought my life was going to look like. I've had many different visions of what I thought my life was going to look like. I want us to talk about vision today. Because here's the thing. We all have a vision for what our life, what we think our life will look like. We have a vision for what we want our families to look like. We have a vision for what we want the church or our business to look like. But, but what I want to really get into today is what is God's vision for us? What is God doing in the world? And, and what's our part in it? So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about missions. And, and I just want to be really clear with you that, that we have something that we do every year called Faith Promise. Faith Promise is our primary way of raising money for global and local missions here in the church. 
And so if you've been around long, you've been a part of one of these, and, and what's going to happen, you in your worship folder, if you have it, there was another brochure in there, and that's our Faith Promise brochure. Some of you may have been confused why you got two today. But, but we are entering into our Faith Promise time, and, and we're doing something new this year. Instead of just having one week that's Faith Promise where we bring in a missionary, we wanted to take some time and really talk about missions, about how we are as a church plugged into what God is doing in the world around us. And so, so this week and next week, we're going to talk about vision and action. But then on November 10th, we have um, Jim and Kathy Radcliffe coming, who, who are missionaries to Papua New Guinea for most of their lives. They're going to come and share our Faith Promise Sunday with us. And they're going to talk about the impact of what God is doing in the world around us. And so I, I tell you all this just to, to ready you. One of the things we do in, in, in Faith Promise and in Missions is, is we take this Faith Promise offering. We just took offering. I don't know if any of you gave your Faith Promise in it. But as I got on my phone, if you see me getting on my phone, it's not because I'm texting people. It, I was giving online. And, and I gave my Faith Promise. It, it's, a, it's a pledge. It's a promise that we give um, to support what God is doing not just here, but in, in the world around. And so you see this board up here. Some of you on that side, it may be harder to see. But this board, which Nate did a great job making look like our, you know, the front of our church, this board is full of our Faith Promise pledge cards. And on November 10th, when the Radcliffe's come, we are going to have everyone pledge towards Faith Promise to just say, God, what would you want me to do what would you want me to give to support the work, your work, through the church around the world? And so, so today we're starting with, with vision. We talked about vision a little bit, but, but what I really want us to see is God's vision, not just ours. Um, my brother-in-law, Kevin, who's a pastor up in Beaver Creek, he, he says this a lot. He got it from a book. I don't know what book, so I'm just going to tell you he says it. He says it's not about... what well, it's. I shouldn't quote him wrong. You'll get mad at him. It's not just about what God is saving us from, but what God is saving us to. So a lot of times in the church, we focus on the things that God saves us from. But we don't focus enough on what God's saving us to do. See, when God saves us, God calls us and God uses us. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, um, it, it, Paul says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. So I want to make a claim here. You have a vision for your life. I believe God has a vision for your life as well. And if we can do anything today... My hope is that you will find God's vision or start to tune yourself to what God wants to do and, and how your life and your vision and all of that fits into that. Vision is the ability to see not what is, but what can be with God. This is huge. I mean, so vision is seeing, but, but when we talk about vision and, and corporate culture, when we talk about vision in our families, we're not talking about literally seeing what's happening, but we're talking about seeing what can be, what, what will be. And so, so vision for us, when I talk about seeing God's vision, I'm not talking about seeing God's vision right this moment. I'm talking about seeing what God wants to do, what can be if God gets a hold of us. 
And, and so it's aligning ourselves with the vision. So, so I, I want us to see a story today. We, we talk about stories a lot, and the truth is that we exist today within a story that's been happening for a long, long time. And as Christians, later we're going to celebrate communion. The, the, the central point of our story was the coming of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the creation and sending of the church. And so I want us to see a story today because the truth is we live in 2019 in Westchester, Ohio, or wherever you live around here, but we are a part of something that's been going on since the beginning of time. And so our vision for our life is pretty small, but God's been doing something forever. And so it starts with Jesus, but, but, but then God's vision for the world, God's redemptive vision for the world, it, it, it culminates there in Jesus and then continues on as God continues to enlist other people. And what I want to do is I want to look at um, three different stories today of people that got their vision in line with God's vision and began to live for what God was doing. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 9. This is a really long scripture, so bear with me. Read it along on the screen um, if you want to follow along with me. Acts chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He had lost vision. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord had called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and, to, and the, to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, 
he regained his strength. That, that, that's a long passage, but this story is incredible. This is, this is one of the key stories that we talk about in the church, but this is an incredible story. Think about what happened. I want you to not just read the words, but to understand what's happening here. We have a guy named Saul who is, a, is against the church and against Jesus and against the, the movement of Christ as anybody who's ever lived. He was absolutely set on destroying Jesus' ministry and mission and movement. It starts off by saying Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. What a lovely guy. He was totally against what God was doing. And Saul, who had a vision for himself, he thought he was doing what was right. He thought that, that he had this plan of what was going to happen. He's traveling along the road, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. There's a light from heaven. And Jesus speaks, and, and all of a sudden, and this is really fitting for what we're talking about, all of a sudden, Saul loses his actual vision. Then we see, he, he says, go to Damascus. We'll follow on to Damascus, and, and more will come. And so, so Saul gets up and goes, and this is incredible. There's three guys, it says, walking with Saul. Now think about this. If they were walking with Saul, were they good people? Did, did they love the movement? No. These would have been people that were, were on board with him. They were against what was happening. But when, when the Lord spoke to Saul and he became blind, it says that these three men, he got up and they led him to Damascus. So now we don't just see Saul, but we see Saul and his people traveling to be obedient to Jesus, who was, he was totally against so he goes, and then we see Ananias come into the story. And Ananias, this is, this is one of my favorite parts of the story. The Lord shows up to, to Ananias in a vision and says, I need you to go, and I need you to pray for Saul. And Ananias says, you're crazy. You know, you know Saul, right? The guy that's trying to kill people like me? You want me to go pray for him? That, that's crazy. But God uses Ananias to come and pray for Saul, and it says, when he prays for him, that scales fall for him from his eyes, and all of a sudden, his vision is restored. But I want to make a case that it wasn't just his physical vision that was restored, but that God gave Saul, now Paul, a new vision. That all of a sudden, Saul, who had been blinded to his own physical vision, when he could see again, it wasn't just about physical vision being restored, but he had the vision of Christ in his mind and his heart, and everything changed. I want to look at a few parts of this, some things that are important for us as we talk about our own vision, as we talk about what God's doing. See, this is a huge part in Scripture, because if, if you know much about the Bible, you know that Paul, who was Saul, ended up writing a good portion of our scripture that, that we read from today. In fact, the, the scripture I quoted just a little, little bit ago, that, that, that's one of the one. actually, I got that wrong, I'm sorry, scratch that. But Paul wrote a good portion of the scripture. Um, he, he wrote letters to the churches. He wrote letters to Timothy, and that's, that's the one I quoted from earlier, which was his, that he wrote, he was, he wrote scripture. 
So we see Saul, who's absolutely against the church. He had his own vision. He had his own plan. He's working against Jesus. And all of a sudden, when Jesus changes his life, he gets a new vision. And it changes everything. Everything. I want you to know today that, and this is, this is a side note. This isn't really... I want you to know today that the people that you see around you that are the most against what God is doing, the people that are the biggest enemies of the church, of God, can be turned around in an instant when God gives them a new vision. That's huge. This story is is huge. And so, so Paul goes on to become one of the greatest missionaries the church has ever seen. He changes the world and, and, and wrote a good portion of the Bible. So three things I see. Number one, God changed him instantly. He became a new man. Instantly, God changed his heart. He was an evil, murderous, terrible man. God changed him and made him new. Number two, God sent him. We have that little interchange with with Ananias, who says, like, are you kidding me? That's Saul. That's, he's a bad guy. And God says, no, go. This is my chosen instrument. This is my chosen instrument to reach the world around him. God changed him, and then God sent him. Has there ever been anyone that, that you've, you've, uh, you've seen God change their life, but you were like, I'm going to wait and see on that one. (laughs) I don't know about that guy or that girl. Like, I don't know if that's real or not. In fact, there's a big thing right now. One of of the musicians, uh, Kanye West, who is a big-time rapper, he all of a sudden has has found Christ and just released a Christian album. And and there's a lot of stuff in in the Christian world that's like, should we trust it? Is it really real or is this a stunt? Here's the thing. I believe that God... Can change anyone. And I believe that sometimes the people that we think are the least likely to be changed are the ones that God uses for the greatest good. And so I'm not telling you anything about Kanye other than this. God changes lives and God sins. See, God, we, we see in that part that God had a plan for the Gentiles, and by the way, we should be thankful for that because if God didn't have a plan for the Gentiles to come to know Jesus, none of us would be here today. We all would be considered Gentiles. And so this moment, this part of the story where Saul's life has changed and he becomes Paul and he is sent is why we're all here. He was obedient and his vision changed. God's, God's plan has always been For his people to share his love, his grace, and his salvation to all people. That's what missions is all about. Is sharing God's love, God's grace, God's hope. Not just with the people in this room or even in our neighborhoods, but with all people. See, Paul was a a key figure. So God changed him. God sent him. And then the third thing we see is God gave him the support of others. And this is huge for us today because I want you to understand not all of us are Paul's. In fact, very few of us are Paul's. That God says, get up and go and do this ministry But we are all called to be a part of the vision that God is enacting, what God is doing in the world around us. And so what we see in the story is other people get involved. 
God changes Saul's life and calls him to go, but then we see these three guys next to him literally lead him by the hand to Damascus. They are participating in God's plan even though they aren't the ones being called to go do it. And then we see Ananias, who's just a good old guy. And he plays a huge part in this story. So when God calls, God sends, and God equips. And and this is important. Sometimes God equips through others calling, through others' obedience. See, there are those that God gives the vision and calls to go. There are others who are called to support the vision. But together, through all of us, God accomplishes his will. And so I want, what I want you to understand today is that you are called to be a part, not just of your own little vision, not just about what you want for your family, but that God is doing something in this world, and you are called to be a part of it. That's what missions is all about. I got to tell you, I'm so, I love the Nazarene church. I know that denominations, you know, it may not be the most popular thing. Non-denominational churches seem to be really popular, but I want you to know that the Nazarene church is a wonderful church that is committed not just to maintenance, but to mission. That we believe that God calls us to go all over the world. And I love it that I'm a part of the church that isn't just about itself and its own taking care of itself, but it's about going. And so this is what missions is all about. So, so I want to take us through the story. And so we, we have Jesus and the work that Jesus did, and then we have Saul, and then I want, to, I want to just tell you two more quick stories. The first is a guy named Harman Schmelzenbach. Harman Schmelzenbach is a famous Nazarene missionary. There's his picture right there. You can tell he lived recently, right? No, but Harman Schmelzenbach, um, when he was young, his parents passed away, and he was left orphaned with, with his siblings. And then um, as an orphan, he ended up having to pull out of school and start working on the side to support, um, to support himself. But then he went to a camp meeting, and we're talking about in the late 1800s, beginning of 1900s, he went to a camp meeting, and God got a hold of him, and his vision for his life changed, and all of a sudden he saw God's vision, and all of a sudden he knew that he had to go into the world and make disciples. I want, I want to read this to you really quick. He went to Penile University, which le- later, well, it was the start of what is now Southern, Naz- um, Southern Nazarene University, which is one of our universities. So he went to this university, and this is, this is what I read about him. One night, not long after his arrival, he was reading a book about the life of David Livingstone. Suddenly he saw before his eyes all those unreached lost people that had never heard the good news that Jesus died for them. That night, Harmon felt a distinct urge to go to Africa and serve as a missionary. His urge was so great that he decided not to wait, but rather to go right away. And so he and a group of people pledged together, and in 1907, Harmon Schmelzenbach got on a boat to go to Africa. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine getting on a boat to go to Africa today. 1907, this guy had a vision for his life. He had all these things that were happening. He was working in in mills and factories, and all of a sudden, God got a hold of him, and he changed his vision, and next thing you know, he's on a boat to go to Africa. 
to be a missionary to people that he didn't know anything about. So he went, and he went to the the country of Swaziland. And at first, he wasn't accepted. In fact, he wasn't just not accepted, but at one point, they tried to kill him. It said that three of his houses got burnt down because people were against what he was doing, but he continued to work. He started building churches with his own money and the money that was supporting him. He started building churches in Swaziland. And then he started training pastors. And his vision, what God was doing in the country of Africa, became his vision. I want to read you some stats. In Africa today... There are Nazarenes, so we're just talking about our denomination. There are Nazarenes in 34 of the 54 independent African countries. There are more than 611,000 Nazarenes in over 8,600 churches. See, Harman Schmelzenbach, who was a normal guy, just like any of us, got on board with God's vision. And he went, and it wasn't easy but he was faithful to follow God's call, and the result is pretty crazy. I want to tell you one more story. And you may have seen in the news lately, I'm I'm all about current events today, but you may have seen in the news lately that there's been some, some things said about women in ministry. One of the things I love about the Nazarene Church is that we believe that everyone is called to minister. So I want to tell you about Susan Fitkin, because this is cool. Harmon was the get-up-and-go guy, but, but Susan was different. Susan Fitkin, here's her picture. She also lived, like, last week, right? But she also, when she was young, dreamed of being a missionary and going to the mission field. But here's the thing. At the age of 14, she came down with a life-threatening illness. And so when she applied to go, they said, you can't go. Your health isn't good enough. So you know what she did? She gave up on the vision and went and worked at Arby's. You guys aren't even awake. Come on, guys. (laughs) What did she do? She got in line with God's vision and started working right here because if she couldn't couldn't go, then she was going to be the Ananias. She was going to be the people that led Paul. And so she got involved and and she started a group that, that would later become Nazarene Missions International, what we now know as Nazarene Missions International. And so she gave her life to serve God, not on a mission field, but right here supporting the mission. Let me give you some more stats. Today, there are 234 child development centers in the Church of the Nazarene around the world, places devoted to helping children. The Church of the Nazarene is in 162 world areas. There's 680 missionaries, and we have 51 different colleges and universities. And every year, we do this every year, we send a work and witness team. That's a team that goes and serves around the world. There's over 700 work and witness teams. Guess what? That all traces back to Susan Fitkin having her vision changed getting in line with God's vision, and starting this thing called Nazarene Missions. It wasn't called that then, it's called that now. Nazarene Missions. God is at work. And I believe that we are called to be a part of this vision, that God has a vision that's bigger than our vision. And here's the cool thing. When our vision comes from God, our potential is beyond measure. Think about it. One man, one woman... Paul, 
who just were changed. And then they were called, and then they were sent, and then they were equipped. And the results are, that's beyond comprehension that God could do all that through just a couple people. But when our vision aligns with God's vision, our potential is out of this world. And this is what I'm so excited about with you here today is that we're a part of a story that's been going on since the beginning of time. And Jesus, our Lord, came and started this whole act of reconciliation. And then all of a sudden we see Saul come into it and become Paul and go to preach to all the Gentiles, and we're here because of it. And then we see Harmon Schmelzenbach, who who is just one of many that God is calling. And then we see Susan Fitkin, who's one of many that God is calling. But here's the deal. God has a vision for this world, and God is doing it. And we have a part in it. And I don't know if you just got dressed and came to church just to come to church today, but you're a part of something so much bigger than you understand. And I believe today that God is still calling people to missions. I believe God is still calling some people to get up and to go. And I believe God is still calling many of us to support and encourage and help advance the vision of God for this world. That happens through neighboring, like we've been talking about. That happens through missionaries going overseas. That happens when our vision takes a back seat to God's vision. 